All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Hopefully this isn't feedback on me like last time, but we'll give it a good shot. Um, I'm grateful, again, to be able to teach out of Colossians. Um, Brian's spending time with his family this weekend, and uh, we have an arrangement where Pastor Brian, who does a bulk of the teaching here at Calvary Slow, uh, has his times in Colossians. He's opened it up to me and also to Ben Potter to share some of the teaching out of Colossians. Uh, I have, uh, to this point in my life, I've studied Colossians before, but definitely the, the book seems, you know, there's times when you read the Bible and you study the Bible, and there's different books that you've read before, and you're like, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I enjoy this book. It has some deep truths, but, but just studying through Colossians this time around has flooded my heart with gratitude for Jesus. You know, that's what it's all about, right? If you read the Word at a, at a duty, you don't get that. But if you read out of the Word to see Jesus, then He just blows you away. And if you spend a little bit of time uh, digging, there's tremendous riches and reward of doing that, um, and I, I found that to be true. And so if you're a little dry in your reading, a little dry in maybe your devotional time, time with the Lord, just you and Him when you get a chance to get away or go to Starbucks when there's 50 other people around, wherever your spot is to go with God, um, just encourage you to dig, dig a little bit, just take a couple verses and break it down and journal with it, and you'll be amazed in how much a difference it makes in your devotional time with him. You know, it's a whole lot different than just, you know, okay, open it, I have two minutes before I have to get out to work, and I read that, or, you know, you have the Bible app where you get one verse, and then, you know, it's just awesome to dwell on those things, but when you sit down and you spend some extra time digging in, it's amazing what God does in your own heart. And then for those of you guys who have the privilege of of teaching, you know, a small group, community group, um, maybe youth group, kids, anything where you're forced to just dig in, or in my case, just teaching the word this morning, um, can, is this true that you get blessed more than the recipients, right? By definition of spending time in the word, God just fills your heart with stuff that you didn't even realize, man, was in there. And it's that way with Colossians for me. Man, I love this book. My previous favorite book, it's kind of funny to say, my favorite book of the Bible is if all the other ones are inferior the one you choose, but my favorite one has always been Ephesians and Hebrews. They're probably neck and neck. It was Hebrews, then I studied in depthly Ephesians, and I'm like, oh, this is the best book. And then uh, now maybe Colossians, maybe up there. Any rate, all that to say is that I've been blessed, and I hope you guys get something out of this morning, but it really doesn't matter because I've already feasted. <laughs> so good luck to you. Any rate, we are going to be in a, a part of a Colossians 1 this morning, verses 24 and through 29. And, and, you know, here, a couple weeks ago, if you were here with us, I was teaching out of previous in chapter 1 about the preeminent Christ, the one who reigns over everything, and, and very, very Everest type, that's how I described it, if you weren't here in, in taking a venture of Everest, there was that kind of truth, like an Everest truth. And it was all about Jesus and focused on him and who he is and why he's preeminent and why we can have hope and, and glory in him alone as, as the highest among the highest, you know, the firstborn among the dead, the head of the church, um, the, the one who is filling and sustaining and holding all things together, these huge mammoth truths. And then um, as I dug into this one, I was more of like, wow, this, this isn't the same type of, of passage just a few verses later in verses 24 through 29. And it's one of those passages that I think in the past, maybe I just bro, you know, really went quickly through because it wasn't at first glance that same kind of Everest uh, experience. But I hope you'll see this morning 
that you are very much, um, if you're a believer in Christ, you're in a position to be, and you're very much the same as Paul the Apostle. And, and I get it out of these five verses. So it's, it is an Everest type of truth. It may not be specifically the same type as, as what I taught before, but it is nonetheless Everest type of passage. Why? Because I realize that I'm in the place of Paul. You're in the place of Paul. And uh, hopefully by the end of this morning, I'll be able to definitively tell you why I believe that out of the scripture and looking at some of these powerful words. So if you guys wouldn't mind just uh, opening up to Colossians 1, uh, the title of this message is Paul's Calling to be a minister for the Lord in proclaiming the mystery of God. And through the reading of this passage and studying, I guess, I just want to put a little note with that, and guess what? It's ours too. Okay? You have a calling this morning, and we're going to look at what that is. It's just like Paul. So let's look at Colossians 1. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. God, this is a heavy passage. doesn't seem like it at first glance, but it is nonetheless. So we pray, I pray, God, that you would speak through me this morning, that we would all leave just more encouraged to really do what you've called us to do, and that is to be a minister, a servant of the gospel, of your good news. Uh, So Lord, speak now. Um, Let everyone be alert and ready to receive the words that you would have. And I would pray for anyone who doesn't yet have that relationship with you, that intimacy, to be able to call you Savior and Lord and Master. Lord, that that they have yet to come into a place where they have a calling like this because they've simply resisted you. Up until now, Lord, speak to them as well. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all praise, all honor. All dominion on heaven, in heaven and in earth belongs to you, so would you speak now. Encourage the saints, save the sinner. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So there's some huge things that Paul's saying in this short five verses, huge things, that if you read it correctly, you should be kind of like stuck by just saying for a second, wait a second, Paul, do you really mean what you're saying to the church in Colossae? Remember, there's a couple things that are important here, and that is he's never, most believe he's never even seen these people before. Um, he's never personally visited that church. He's heard from Epaphras and guys like that, that, that here's this church that's heard the gospel, received the gospel, is living in the gospel, and, and they're growing in the grace, and they're doing great works. And there's a lot to be rejoicing, uh, a lot to be rejoiced over in what's happening with them. But Paul says some pretty crazy things in here. Here's a few of them. Uh, Verse 24, I now rejoice in my suffering for you. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Um, 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me 
to you to fulfill the word of God, which is what? That he might fill up in his flesh, his ministry, filling up in his flesh, verse 24, what is lacking in the afflictions, afflictions of Christ. Very difficult passage. Uh, we're going to break that down. Another one. To them God willed to make known what the riches, verse 27, of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles, that's big in this day and age. 2,000 years ago this was written. That's huge. But then he goes on to say, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is, okay, that, that's a whole other level of blow my mind away. You guys seen those little AT&T commercials where that, where that guy sits with all the kids and she says, infinity times infinity, and he goes, <laughs> you know, this is that kind of passage, right? Just like, what? It's crazy, Paul. He says, we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present man, every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, what are you talking about, Paul? See, these things are big. They're um, not understood at first glance. They're the reason for Paul to get their attention. So when they're just reading this and hearing this in their presence, as somebody would read the letter to them off a scroll, that they would probably be tempted at least to raise their hand and say, wait a second, did Paul really write what he just wrote? Did you just read that correctly? Because these are huge things, and I don't get it, and I don't see how those can be true. That's potentially what is going to be met upon first hearing of this church. So for us, we can miss it, because we're like, yeah, yeah, I know that, know that, know that. But there's some really difficult passages. So that's what we're going to break down today, and hopefully through it again, we'll see that our calling is just like Paul. So number one, there's four things. There's a lot of slides, just got to warn you. But there's only four main points of why our calling is just like Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, verse 1, look down in Colossians 1. He describes himself as this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He's an apostle. What does that mean? He was sent forth proclaiming to a people that which is the gospel. Okay, he was sent forth. Definitely a unique calling, okay, an apostle. There were only the apostles, those who interacted with Jesus, those who came face to face or spoke with him. Paul did so. Acts chapter 9, for example. And here I am this morning saying our calling is the same as his. You're like, I'm just uh, working 9 to 5, James. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. How can I be like Paul the Apostle? Okay. Or I'm just, I just have little ones at home. I'm a mom. I'm making dinners. I'm, I'm you know, feeding the family. I'm, I'm supporting my family. I'm working hard in the home. How do I, how do I, why do I have the same calling as Paul the Apostle? Or, get this, I just came to the Lord. I'm only a couple months in this whole thing called Christianity. And I'm like Paul the Apostle. How does that work? You know, okay. You're, you're thinking that, right? Everybody's awake. They're like, wait a second, James. Did you just say that? Yes, I just said that. Why? Because look at number one. What's Paul's calling, which is ours too? Number one, rejoicing in his suffering. Number one, rejoicing in his suffering. He says, verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings. Just stop there before the for you, okay? How does one rejoice in their suffering. At first glance, here's a weirdo. You ever been around somebody who's rejoicing in their sufferings? It just doesn't compute, does it? It doesn't follow. I, I am depressed. I am despairing. I am hard-pressed. All these things. Now, I don't think Paul's saying, I'm just happy joy, joy all the time. Like, like that's really weirdo, right? Like, I just got my leg cut off. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
That's not what he's talking about, obviously. There's a deeper rejoicing that's going on here. But it's still nonetheless miraculous, isn't it? But the calling here is the same. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, the only way you can rejoice in your sufferings, no matter if it's for them or for anybody else for that matter, is that you have a bigger truth as a backdrop to your suffering. Amen? There's a bigger truth to the suffering you're going through. That's how you rejoice in it. Because when suffering is properly placed, it's placed below the banner, which is everything previously said in Colossians, which is what? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Man, I can suffer anything, so to speak. may not be pleasant. In fact, it isn't. I already guarantee the suffering already taken place in my life, has taken place in my life, and the suffering to come is not pleasant. But the word of God stands firm in this powerful truth that says, I have my sins blotted out. The injury that I have caused, the pain that I have caused, the suffering that I have caused is forgiven me. As far as you can get from east to west, it's forgiven me. I suffer, it's part of life. A lot of ways, it's because of what I've done. But there's a bigger backdrop to my suffering, which is what? He has forgiven me. Jesus, through his suffering on the cross, was able to say, I love you, and I do not hold your sin against you. And when you have that banner over your suffering, that you know you will see Jesus face to face because he acted on your behalf, that puts suffering second tier. The bigger truth is what we go to in order to what? To rejoice in our sufferings. Now, add that to this. Your suffering has purpose. Do you realize if we didn't have Christ, our suffering would be cruel, meaningless, and utter, utterly just frustrating. Because you would suffer just because that was your luck. That was your draw on life. That was your, you got the, short, your, got the short straw when everybody else drew them. Without Christ, without a bigger purpose, without his working for some eternal purposes, your suffering is cruel and meaningless. But with Christ, your suffering is ordained as glorious and be worthy to rejoice in. Without Christ, without having your sin forgiven, without the finished work of the cross, suffering is cruel and meaningless. With Jesus taking your sin upon him on the cross and saying, one day I will put everything right that is not right now. I have forgiven your sin, but I will set everything in order as it should be, as it originally was one day. That gives you confidence to say, Somehow, I may not even understand right now, but my suffering is accomplishing his eternal will that has something to do with him putting the pieces back together right. That makes suffering something to rejoice in. Now, for Paul, he says, I already know why I'm suffering. I'm in prison. I'm distant from you. I can't go where I want to. I have been bold in the gospel, and it's led me here, but here's the confidence I have. It's for you. It's for you, Colossians. It's for you. Guys, your calling's the same. 
if you're suffering, if you have suffering in your life, if you will suffer, it's not just for you. It's for others. Now, why? Because God's all about glorifying himself. And he even uses the devil in that plan to glorify himself. Who causes and is at the root of much suffering, we know. But when God's using it, and it's, and it's happening in your life, to embrace it is to say, God, I don't even know who this may be affecting, but I know it's potentially affecting the people right around me and circles going on outward out of that, right? Guys, even in death, it's, it's for others, right? Starting with our Savior. His death was for everyone. If we die, there's a purpose in that. Do you realize it's just not just like God wanting to open a door into heaven for you, but it's this. It's like God has lots of doors for lots of people that he wants to open for them. And they, your testimony in that suffering as you rejoice in it as something preordained by God to do an eternal work is a testimony to other people that Jesus is real and worth it. Not just in the good times, but when you're suffering the most. And Paul knew what that secret was. And he says, write out, Colossians, boldly, I am suffering, but I'm going to rejoice in it because it's for you and your sake. You guys know Jesus and know the truth of the gospel because I've been bold enough to proclaim it. And I may be suffering now because of it, but I rejoice in that. If that's what it took for you guys to be mature in Christ. Understand? That, that's, where, that's where when you have a purpose of suffering and everything we know, guys, to be true is this, that God ordains everything in your life. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way. You're like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? But we can't, like, compare ourselves to Paul and say, yeah, I beat him and how he suffered if we're going to list it down, right? Like, okay, what have I suffered? Well, Paul's kind of still ahead of me in all that he suffered. He was flogged, he was beaten, he was stoned. They left him for dead because they thought, well, he did the job. He's dead. He got up and he went right back in. Shipwrecked and in prison and lonely, I'm sure. And yet, and the apostle, I'm going to rejoice in my suffering. So that gives me tremendous hope. Does it not give you tremendous hope? To say, my suffering's worth it? My suffering's accomplishing something? It's not just meaningless, it's not just cruel. Guys, some of you suffer with ongoing trials in your life. Those thorns in the flesh or those physical ailments, reduce them down. There's purpose in it. Some of you lost loved ones. Some of you uh, go and you're rejected because of your faith in the workplace, among friends, whatever, family. You've been disowned. Guys, it's all worth it. I heard one pastor say, we're not going to get to heaven and go, ah, bummer. Is this all there is? It wasn't worth it. No, you're going to see Jesus face to face. You're going to look at your Savior. He's going to have scars in his hands. And you're going to say, you suffered for me. It was all worth it. I wanted that suffering. I didn't want that suffering, but now I see why it played into your plans and your authority and your rulership and your sovereignty. It's because you had bigger plans that I could even see. Trust in that, saints. Trust in the bigger plan even when you don't see it. That's a main encouragement. That's why we can share in Paul's calling. Now, what does he mean when he says, I'm making up or I'm filling up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church? At first glance, and even in deeper study, it's a difficult passage. And I just want to give you just a quick reminder. When we come to 
difficult passages in the Bible. There's a few things that have been taught on here from this pulpit even very clearly, and I just want to review them. We look at context, we look at the author, we look at the type of literary work, we look at the audience, who they're writing to, the totality of Scripture is obviously very, very important. And where unclear passages exist, we use clear ones to aid in the understanding of them, not vice versa. So don't take a passage like this, make a doctrine on top of it, and then run with it. That's a mistake we can make in biblical interpretation. We don't want to do that. So what is Paul talking about? Well, if you look at the book of Colossians, guys, just one real easy question here. Who is preeminent as described already in the letter? Jesus is, right? He's preeminent. He's above all things. He's the one who suffered for us. And even as the scripture we just read in chapter 1, verses, uh, let's see, 13 and 14, listen listen to the tense of this statement. We don't even have to go to another book, just Colossians. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of his son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Reading those two verses, do you think there's anything left for Paul to do in taking the sufferings of Christ? If this implies at first reading that Paul somehow is going to take some of the load, if you will, or the ministry of Christ to die or to suffer for us, as if it were somehow saving us, absolutely not, right? It's past tense. He's already conveyed. He's already purchased us. He's already forgiven sin. has nothing to do that. So what does Paul mean? Well, I think it's important to look at the, the words here in the Greek. Number one, what is lacking? What does that mean? Well, it actually means what is lacking. <laughs> what, what, is, what is still not to be accomplished? Well, Christ in a saving work has already done that work. We know that. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son to whoever believed in him, not him and Paul, who's going to suffer more, or anyone else for that matter. Now, here's one example of where somebody built a doctrine on this and kind of ran with it, and that is the doctrine of purgatory. You know, I was, I was raised in the Catholic Church myself, and I was very familiar with purgatory. Well, they took this verse to see, see, the suffering still takes place, and therefore it opens up this door to this eventual place where people will go if they need to work off or suffer more in order to be purified. Doctrine of purgatory is not compatible even with the two verses I just read, let alone the rest of Scripture. Okay? We know that Jesus said on the cross, his last words, what did he say? Praise God he said this. It is finished. He yelled it out. Been here when Pastor Brian has said, gone over that verse. Sound guys have to turn it down because he yells it. It is finished. You know, and it's screaming and it's feeding back and stuff. He, he left that as kind of a resounding echo, so we would never try and add to the finished work of Christ. It is finished means it is finished, okay? Now, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is, well, then he saw, right? That's where he gets impacted by the, by the risen Savior, and it, and it says Paul was seeking out to throw people in prison for their faith, going through the saints and basically saying, who can I rest and take to Jerusalem? And then we see Jesus come on the scene and says, Saul, Saul. Saul Saul's like, who is it, Lord? He's all, it's, it's, it's me whom you're persecuting. It's Jesus. He's saying, it's me that you're persecuting. In other words, you're persecuting the saints, but you're persecuting me. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. It gives this example. He is the head and we are the body. We share, right? We're part of one with Christ. So as, as, as Paul is afflicted as part of that body, 
He knows there's a bigger person, God's sovereign over it, and he's chosen to allow him to suffer, but it's part of his own body that he's allowing to suffer. And so Paul's saying, I'm filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ is meaning I'm already identified in Christ because I'm part of his body. And if I'm suffering, the head's suffering. You with me? So, so Paul's saying, I have an ordination. Uh, there is a calling on my life to suffer, and there's a mount that's preordained for God has deemed it so that I should suffer in his name and for his glory. And so he's saying, in my opinion anyways, my humble opinion, is that there is more suffering to continue, and there's more suffering for you and me as well as we are faithful to the Lord. You know, if you seek to live righteously, you will suffer. The Bible's pretty clear on that. So there is something lacking. There's a, an amount that Paul's going to experience. He's going to fulfill it, and he's going to fill it up. But why? Because he's fulfilling the word of God, which we'll look in the next verse. He says, for the sake of his body, which is the church. So, so it's for the sake of the Colossian church. It's for the sake of all of us who keep reading this passage over and over again. Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word. So the second thing, Paul's calling, which is ours too, is to be a servant who faithfully stewards his calling. The stewardship, that's an interesting word. So is minister. So let's take a couple look, or looks at a couple of these words here. He says, of which I became a minister. This is really important, you guys. The minister word here, we get the word deacon. It'll be up here on the screen. Dukanos. The Greek word. One who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, an attendant, a waiter, or a deacon. Going back to the book of Acts, that is exactly what they were called. It's like, let's get the waiters out here, faithful men who are full of the Holy Spirit, to serve the widows, the Grecian widows. That's what we're meaning here. Paul's calling was saying, I was made a minister. Another word, servant. Now, this is different than slave. Slave is used throughout the whole of the New Testament. That's doulos. This deaconos is a servant, one who serves. Anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, but you may want to to be recognized. Anybody here a waiter or a waitress? All right. Got one bold person. You, sir, are to be thanked. That's the image. You're waiting on people. Um, in fact, Lane, I'll put you on the spot. He's the one who raised his hand, right? He's, he's, he has a couple jobs where he's serving. And we've talked about this. And he actually does Bible study. This is great. I didn't even plan this in my message, but it works perfectly. Thank you. Thank you, Lane. I'm going to use you in second service, so make sure to come back. Um, he's, he, tell me if I'm wrong, but from what I recall, you were mentioning that you like to do Bible studies or were studying or helping other staff waiters and waitresses to look at this concept of being a servant in the New Testament as applying your faith to your workplace. Is that correct? Was that accurate? It's easy, right? Because you're looking at what's our greatest calling. Well, it's just like Paul's, to be a servant. Paul here, it's interesting to me because he starts out the book saying, I'm an apostle, which sounds so high and mighty. And then he's telling about the Colossians directly. He said, I'm called to suffer for you. I've called to be a what? Servant. I've called to be a waiter. I've called to do whatever. Guys, I love the church. I love how Christ has set up the church because any one of us can serve well and whatever God's called you to do it, right? To be a servant, to be lowering yourself, to say, there's nothing I won't do. I'll do the dirty work. 
I'll do the grunt work. I'll do the, the stay, or stay late, get here early type stuff. I love that. It really resonates with my heart, you guys. My role in this church, for example, is something that just resonates with me. I love being able to serve. I love having a variety of tasks. I love knocking out a to-do list. I love sweeping. I love teaching when I get the chance. But I, I love just, like, setting up TVs and, and, and making sure that, you know, the, the children's ministry has what it needs and, and Pastor Brian has a sounding board and all those kind of roles in, in, in the church that I fill. I'm, I'm privileged to do that. And it's really easy for me to look at it in that way. I just, just want to be a faithful servant. It's really easy for me. So no matter what the opportunities God gives you in your life, um, it can always be that you can be called upon to do the grunt work, right? That's a glorious thing. And if you forget that, look at our Savior who heads the body, who became like a slave and washed the feet of his dirty disciples. He's like, I'm going to set the example. We're not trying to, you know, rise in the corporate ladder in the church. We're trying to outserve each other, right? That's a beautiful thing. That's his calling. That's our calling. It's wonderful. Now, this word stewardship. He says, I am called to be a minister, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God. The stewardship is the management of a household or of household affairs, specifically the management, oversight, administration of others' property. Paul knew that he was administering or leading or serving God's property. That it came from that stewardship outward. That I am faithful or I'm aiming to be faithful over God's house as a servant, as a waiter, as doing whatever it takes to serve the church, even if it means going to prison. Number three, God calling upon our lives is similar to Paul in this, to proclaim the mystery of God. To proclaim the mystery of God. You're like, uh, okay, Paul went to all the nations, uh, Gentile nations, not all of them, but definitely outward. Um, I'm not called to that. I'm not called to missions. What do you mean? How could I have the same ministry as him? Well, let's look at that. He said, which was given to me for you, verse 25, to fulfill the word of God. What is that word of God? The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now been revealed to the saints. This is his calling. And it says, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word mystery, remember we were talking a couple weeks ago about Gnosticism and its, its uh, origins, that philosophy, the origins that came from this time, that, that you had secret knowledge given to a few, and if you're so... Uh, blessed, in other words, then you could be part of that group, and thus you need to be revealed by someone else what that mystery was. Paul's using the same words here. And mysterion, that's where we get the word out of the Greek word. Hidden things, secret, mystery. Generally, mysteries, religious secrets confined, or confided only to the initiated and not to ordinary mortals. What Paul's saying here is that there's a mystery, and it's been hidden. And the fullness of fullness of this, I think, comes out of the book of Ephesians to a great measure. And that is what? That Christ in you, the hope of glory, would be given to all the nations. Now, God started out that way in Genesis, but somehow that got lost amongst the Jewish people, the Israelites along the way, that it was meant for everyone. That he would start out and raise Abraham up and raise out of that a family of faith. It got a little bit off track. But at this point, Paul's saying 
that the festivals and all the things that God ordained for the people of God, it didn't so much point directly to Christ being in them. Remember, there's a few things that are hindering that in their minds anyways. Number one is that how could Christ be in you? Christ died on the cross. Christ rose from the dead. Paul, do you really mean that it's Christ in you? In you? That word can have several meanings, but it does mean in. In fact, go to the next slide, if you will, please. This word in, it's used over 2,800 times in the New Testament. Okay? 1,900, just over 1,900 is translated in. But it can mean with and by as well. Now, this is a mind-blowing concept to Israel. If you're a Jew in the Colossian church, you're reading this, and you're like, man, what a glorious truth this is. The Gentiles have been brought in, grafted in, if you will, into what's now the church. Now, why? Because to be Christ in you means that he's not discriminating based on your heritage. In other words, God has opened himself and putting himself in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the saints in the church, no matter what their background. That's a glorious thing. You guys, isn't it great? People say you're so closed-minded in your faith. You're, you're so, uh, you have so, so much pompous stature to say you're the only truth. It's like, you know what? Christ is available to all. And if I'm pompous as a saying, it's, it's open to rich, poor, black, white, uh, you know, just anyone of any background. doesn't matter the sin. You all come. Christ is, is, wants to be in you, no matter where you're from, what your background is. To me, that's like, wow, what's more inviting than that? What's more universal than that? What's more universal loving than that? There's no qualifications. Just come as you are. But to a Jew, they're like, we have the festivals. We have the Mosaic law. We have the history here. And yet, you're just going to bring unknowing Gentiles into the fold, and they're going to have Christ in them, Jehovah God, in them? Yes, they are. But don't you need the temple? No, you don't. Why? Well, if God left anything in doubt, he just said, you know what? There's a big veil between the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. I'm just going to rip that from top to bottom. So you would know that going to the temple is not required anymore. There's not a little room for us to meet in anymore. I'm going to be in you. The Greek word in, as an in inside. You have the Holy Spirit. Guys, this changes everything. Look at this awesome quote. Um, looking at Pastor Chuck Smith. I, I have a feeling that a majority of this church doesn't even know who Pastor Chuck Smith is. He, he actually is, is the father of faith for the Calvary Chapel movement. And we're an affiliation of Calvary Chapel. We don't say Calvary Chapel slow, and it's, it's not this hidden agenda like, oh, well, I didn't know we were Calvary Chapel. It's like, no, there's no hidden agenda. It's just that we like Calvary slow as a name. It started way back when, and we're like, let's just cut the chapel and go Calvary slow. So that's, anyways, neither here nor there. I'm just saying that Pastor Chuck is the one who started the movement, who's called by God as an apostle, but clean toilets too. There's some really classic stories about his willingness to do whatever for the saints. But he, he was used to, to raise up this thousands of churches worldwide. And it's just amazing. So I give him credit for that and just praise God for it. But listen to what he says. The difference between Christ and you and your efforts alone. He says, the chief difference between Christianity and other religions of the world is with Christianity, the power is imparted by the indwelling of Jesus Christ. It isn't just pointing to the path and saying, that's the way you should walk. But it's coming and giving you the capacity and power to do it. Isn't that glorious? 
God just doesn't say, fold his arms and say, okay, prove it. Do it. Work it. Own it. Let's see it. What do you got? Are you really dedicated or not? Are you really going to do this seriously or not? How are you going to do that? Are you going to have a good attitude? Full, arms folded. That's not God. God's like, you know what? I know you can't do it, so let's beat to the chase. I'm going to provide the dunamis power to do it, whatever he's called you to do. That's the main difference. It's not like, go do that, or avoid this, or make sure you uh, detach yourself from things like suffering mentally, that you care about it. God's like, it's going to be in you. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wait. And, and, and Paul's calling is the same as ours, that we would wait, that we would depend, that we would feast on, that we would be utterly desperate for, as we sang earlier, the Holy Spirit. Just as much God as the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit works in you to glorify and raise up and esteem and make much of Jesus and the Father. And he does that through you as you yield to him, just like Paul did, to say, God, thank you. You're not sitting back with your arms folded, but you actually give me yourself. And in you, I can serve faithfully. In you, I can bring about glory to your name. In you, I can actually do things like suffer and do it well. Because if we're all like in, a, in this rally cry, in this emotional trip, we're like, I'm going to go suffer for Christ. And we leave the power of God, we're just setting ourselves up for failure, right? But if we like, the mystery has been revealed to everyone. Open invitation, doesn't matter who you are. When you come and, and humble yourself before Christ, Christ is like, now, now, I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, and you're going to receive power from on high, and he's going to do it in you. That is great news to me. Hope it's great news to you. That that makes us unique, right? Christ in me is a whole lot better than Christ out there, right? Because I'm hoping, Christ, if you're in India too long, you may not notice what I'm going through, right? Or if you're attentive to those people and their gifts, I'm just, I'm just at home. What, why, why would I demand attention from you? No, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is in all of us. And not only us individually, but us corporately. As we come together, the, the Spirit of the Lord is here. That's why you could say that when we gather, then Christ is dwelling there. And Paul knew that. He's all, Colossian church, you have the power of God in you individually through the Holy Spirit indwelling as a seal of redemption for a future um, deposit, if you will, in heaven, but also corporately, Colossian church, corporately you have the Holy Spirit working in you. And guys, when you have a setting where you bring Christians together and the Holy Spirit is allowed and free to move and lead and ordainly put you in your ministry to be faithful as a faithful steward and empowers you to do it, we should expect great things, right, in this life. We should expect great things. We should expect God to move. We should expect him to do miracles and reconcile broken relationships. I long to see that. I love to hear. I got to do, many of you know, I've I've shared this before. I got to do a a, a marriage ceremony, for example, Christ and them, the hope of glory. I got to do a marriage ceremony for a couple who had already been divorced 11 years. 
And, and not only that, but the son was in our Big Buddies program because his father was MIA. And, and it was such a degree where the mom came to me and said, hey, I want to get my son in this Big Buddies program because his dad doesn't, isn't around. He's in a different state, doesn't really care. We, pretty much I'm raising him on my own. I'm just, I just want him to have male influence in his life and, and Christian males in his life. I'm like, sure. They're part of our program. They got together. God reunited them, literally physically had to bring them together in terms of different states, and they got together, and then they fell in love, but this time it was through Christ. He had become a Christian. His life was on a new direction. They came together. They fell in love again, and I got to do the wedding on the cliffs of Shell Beach, and I was like, man, I love this. I love this when you can see Christ in working way beyond their ability, way beyond their emotions. Guys, don't depend on your emotions. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Don't depend on circumstances. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Don't depend on your lot changing or your suffering ending. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope in every situation. That gentleman who got remarried, I, was, I, was, uh, I got the, had the privilege of doing his memorial because he died a few, a few years ago, a few years after they got remarried. He got cancer and he died. And I was, I was there privileged enough to say at the guy's funeral... To all that was assembled, this gentleman had Christ in him, and he had hope, and he's in glory right now. He had hope of glory, and now he's hope in glory, face-to-face with his Savior. And his family got to see that reconciliation. And that's where life is awesome. Because you can't say, man, he was a stud. You can say, praise God, he allowed Jesus to work in and through him so that reconciliation could take place. Guys, we're our biggest hindrance to reconciliation taking place. Don't let it be so. If your emotions are trying to dictate you away from that, from healing relationships, submit. Say, Lord, you're in me. Let's do it. Lord, you're in the community. Let's do it. Guys, you've been hurt by churches before. Undoubtedly, with a group this size, you've been really hurt by people in churches. Leaders, don't let that hinder you. Go, knowing that Christ is in you, to reconcile, to just simply say, this is how I felt. What do you think about it? You know, just give God a chance. Give him some room to do something cool so that even in your suffering, you can glorify him. Now, last thing, bringing this to a close. Number three, Paul's calling the same as ours was to preach, to warn, to teach others so they were mature in the faith. This is really cool. Um, I just want to look at these words really quick because I want you to see our calling is the same. The first word, preach, okay? He says, him we preach, Jesus we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's an amazing statement. Here's why yours is the same. It's preach, that word in the New Testament, to announce, declare, promulgate, make known, to proclaim publicly, to publish. Christianity is not a private faith, you guys. It's public. You have hope in you. It's meant to communicate. That's why God gave you a mouth. I met with uh, Eric Maldonado this week, and he said something really profound. I had to write it down. It was so simple, it was brilliant. He's our uh, junior high pastor, and he says, the reason we learn to read is to read the Bible. (laughs) Love that. I wrote it down. I was like, that's brilliant. I never thought of that before. The reason why you have a mouth is so you can declare God's greatness. And if you're not a Christian today, it's still the same purpose. You're supposed to be saying the same song. You're supposed to be joining the chorus as well. It's just your will's in the way from having it being in harmony 
with everyone else. The next one, warning. New Testament word meaning to admonish. In fact, half and half. It's either warning or admonish. admonish to warn, to exhort. What would be the warning from Paul? Don't give in to these heresies. Don't be deceived. Don't neglect the word of God at your own peril. It's a warning. It's a warning towards, I made these mistakes to my sons. Please don't make them. Avoid them. It could be all of those things and more. Next one, teaching, didasco. The word means to teach, to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them, to teach one, to impart instruction, to instill doctrine into one, to explain. Do you guys get the picture? You're already doing this, right? If you have kids, you've done all three, haven't you? You just didn't realize it was the same as Paul. Paul's audience may have been bigger, but it's still the same calling. I'm going to preach. That means I'm going to use my mouth to talk about how great God is. I'm going to teach, or I'm going to warn. I'm going to give instruction where needed so people avoid hurt and pain, and I'm going to uh, teach. I'm going to share what God has done. I'm going to instill this doctrine, which is what? Christ alone. Faith alone. By faith alone. That's our calling. That's your calling, no matter where you're at. Roommate, mom, dad, employee, employer, grandfather, grandmother, girlfriend, boyfriend, long-distance cousin, Former associate, I used to go to elementary school with you. You're called, you're called to preach, warn, and teach. Everyone. Everyone. Like Paul, maybe not that size. But you still have the same calling. Now, if you nod right now, you're accepting that calling from the Lord. So don't nod too enthusiastically. <laughs> you with me? Same calling. Paul had the same calling. We have the same calling as Paul. Till they're all perfect. This word is brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. Perfect, full grown. Here's the key words here, guys. What does he mean? I'm going to bring everybody perfect. He means mature, full age, adult. Having wisdom, to exercise wisdom is a gift. We need it from one another, don't we? We need Paul, the apostle, to say, here's the truth. You need people in your life to do the same. You need to be a vessel of wisdom to other people. In the balance is this, collectively. In the presence of many counselors, there's much wisdom. Don't just be renegade and just go off on your own tangents and say, this is what the Lord told me, and let it be so, and everybody has to adjust to it. No, it's in the company of a body of Christ saying, what do you think about this? Ah, it's not bearing witness with me. Why? Well, here's what it says in the Word, and this is why I think you're going a little bit too far, or whatever the case is. We just need each other, don't we? We need to talk. We need to preach. We need to warn. We need to do that in humility and in love and in the context of accountability. Last one. Work hard, yet rely on his working out of his ministry through us by the power and dwelling of the Holy Spirit. We already touched on this, but last two words, I promise, and we're done. To labor and strive. Look what he says at the end there. To this I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me. You guys, this is laborious work. I threw it together because it is together in the Greek. It says labor, to grow weary, to grow exhausted, to toil with burdens and grief, which Paul had much of, right? Which we do. The striving is where we get the word agony from. To enter a contest, to contend in gymnastic games, contend with adversaries, and to fight. To literally fight. And the word working, energia which is where we get, obviously, energy from. It's used only of superhuman power. 
whether of God or the devil. There's many passages that have that work in it. And finally, mightily. I know we're going really quick through this, but I want to bring this home in, in a real nice way, hopefully. Verse 29, mightily. Dunamis means power, strength, ability. So all that to be said, what is he saying here at the end? Something very critical for us to know. To this end, I exhaust myself. I use every ounce of energy I can to be faithful to the calling which God's given me and according to the working what, which works in me mightily. According to the fight that I'm involved in, God's going to end up victorious in the end. And the good news is it's going to be effective for his glory. We have the same calling. You guys convinced of it? Have I done an adequate job of convincing you you have the same calling as the Apostle Paul? Whoo! Go out of here with that mentality and not one of like, ah, oh, I have to go to work again. I hate this job. Ah, oh, I got to be married to this person again. I nearly hate this person. Ah, <laughs> uh, I got to apologize again. I've already apologized 30 times for the same thing. Do it. Yeah, one life. One life. And if you can warn, you can teach, you can proclaim, do it. Do it under the Lord in his working and his power. Amen? Amen. Different than just a rally cry, different, definitely different than just a pep talk. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? We're going to have to close with just one song here for sake of time. Um, parents, if you wouldn't mind getting your little ones, that'd be great. It's almost 1030. But uh, let's all stand. Let's pray for God's uh, anointing on us. Father God, we know that we have a great calling in Christ. And Lord, no matter how many days you give us, we're thankful for each and every one of them. We're thankful that you have called us worthy to join in this amazing gospel. And I pray, Lord, that if there be any here again, Lord, that do not know you, that do have not the understanding of that intimate relationship, that you would call them to yourself, that they would join the most amazing life known to mankind and ever will be. Lord, that we were your children. We are your children. We are your vessels for your handiwork. So empower my brothers and sisters in the Holy Spirit to be able to be like Paul, to be able to suffer well, to be able to proclaim the mystery which is Christ in us, God, to be able to reconcile well, to be able to work mightily, to exhaust themselves, all for your glory. Lord, move and encourage us in in your name. We love you.